And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. What's up, Bills fans? Good morning. Another victory Monday for the Buffalo Bills. 48-20. to 20. They beat the Miami Dolphins in absolute rout. Another one. Uh, three in a row now for the Bills after starting the season with a, with a dud against the New York Jets. The Bills have quickly righted the ship, and they are now 3-1 and one and atop the AFC East once again. And we're going to break it all down here. You can drop your questions in as always, and we will get to as many as we can here. A lot to get to in this game because really for the first time since that that Monday night game in the opener, it felt like this was a game that was going to say a lot about the Buffalo Bills. It's not that they're performances against the Raiders and the Commanders were not impressive because they were. Those were dominant games by the Bills. But you expected it. Over these last few years, you've come to expect that the Bills will dominate the average to below average teams in the league. And so the measuring sticks for the Bills are few and far between, I feel like. You you don't get a ton of games where you truly get to see Little things about the Bills each time, right? Like, how is Sean McDermott going to scheme up against this offense that isn't going anywhere? You know, this Dolphins team will continue to hang around and be competitive in the division. They'll be a potential playoff opponent. Having answers for this offense matters. And man, did they have answers. But also, you know, how would Josh Allen handle and the offense handle being in a potential shootout? And again, they passed that test with flying colors. This was, you've seen this before with Josh Allen when the games are those back and forth games early. He can really, really get rolling. And the offenses in this game were nuts early on. It was 14 to 14 at one point. At the end of the first quarter, the two teams were combined averaging 8.62 yards per play. 16 first downs between them and the quarterbacks hadn't thrown an incompletion. It looked like it was going to be one of those days and the Bills offense never stopped. They kept on that trajectory. Josh Allen had a perfect passer rating. He threw four touchdowns and only three incompletions, added another touchdown on the ground, now has 39 total touchdowns against the Dolphins in 12 career games and has two touchdowns in every single game against the Dolphins. He absolutely owns Miami, regardless of the quarterback, regardless of the the defensive coordinator on the other side, regardless of the scheme and the personnel, he's just consistently performed at a very high level, which you 
you want out of your quarterback in these division matchups. Obviously, a few other things to get to, and James will start us off here with options to replace Tredavious White. You know, late in the game, Tredavious White goes down with what is an Achilles injury. They initially announced it as an ankle injury and then, you know, re-announced it as an Achilles injury. Tredavious White was visibly upset on the field, his teammates gathering around him as he's loaded onto the cart. Players and coaches after the game talking about Tredavious White were emotional, you know, especially after the long road Tredavious had back from his torn ACL in thanks on Thanksgiving 2021. So the options to replace Tredavious White. Well, at the moment, it looks like it will be Christian Benford and Dane Jackson. That has been the pecking order for the Bills secondary after Tredavious White. That's why Kyrie Elam has been inactive since the start of the season. And Benford left the game briefly yesterday, but did return. And Dane Jackson was the one who went in when he went down. And he was the one who stayed in when Tredavious White, you know, also went down. So those are two guys that have, you know, played meaningful snaps, quite a few meaningful snaps over the last couple of seasons. It's not the absolute worst scenario to be in. But the fact of the matter is you now need Kyir Elam to be ready to go when called upon. There's going to be times where you need more corners on the field. There's going to be times throughout a game where Benford maybe goes down or Dane Jackson comes out for a few plays. And you're one injury away from from Elam needing to play. So hopefully, you know, for for his sake, for the team's sake, he took this time away and, you know, got locked back in because that was you know, you certainly don't hope to see a first round pick on the healthy scratch list every week. And he's now going to get his opportunity, which you figured would come at some point, right? No team is going to go through an NFL season entirely healthy. And you hope it wouldn't come the way that it did, though. And we'll, we're waiting for a little more news on, on Tredavious White here the rest of the day, but I would say the early outlook on that is not not great. And it's tough when it comes to a, a player like that who has been such a key part of what they've built and who has already gone through the long road back from a major injury. So, you know, I know everybody in you know in Buffalo is crossing their fingers that it's not as serious as it looked. John points out, does does the secondary, you know, where do the Bills go secondary-wise without Tredavious White, but also does it matter as much with Vaughn coming back? And I think this is a fair point because I wouldn't... Okay, so the secondary played really well against Miami, but a big part of why they were able to play well is because they were getting pressure on the quarterback. And I think in the first half, Tua was under pressure on almost half of his dropbacks, which was double the usual rate for the Dolphins. This defensive line is for real. You know, we've talked about it week after week, it feels like. You can go down the list of players who are making an impact. Greg Rousseau had another big game. Leonard Floyd was great again. Daquan Jones, you know, led the team in pressures, got a sack, you know, and he's 
you know, not exactly the the biggest name of that group, but he has been consistently week after week making plays. You have Ed Oliver, you've got AJ Epinesa, uh, you know, batting down passes. This is a deep group. And then you add Von Miller to the mix. You can absolutely cover up some deficiencies in the secondary with a great pass rush. And the Bills 100% have a great pass rush at this point. I think we can say that through four weeks against a variety of different teams. But to go up against that offense that loves to get the ball out quick, has all those playmakers on the outside, and a quarterback who tends to read things quickly, you know, it's easy to focus on individual players or individual matchups, but what makes the Bills so good on defense is that they are, the sum is always greater than the parts. And so when they are at their best, as they were yesterday, you have a team that the pass rush makes the secondary better, but the secondary makes the pass rush better by disguising coverage just long enough, making a quarterback like Tua hesitate just enough to allow the pass rush to get home. That's why it was a dominant day from a sack and pressure standpoint against Washington the week earlier, because Sam Howell was confused enough that he didn't know exactly what he was seeing. So to see the bills and huge credit to Sean McDermott here as well, because you had a feeling during the week, I wrote about it late in the week at the athletic. I I remembered a story from uh, Quentin McKell, who had, he, he told me about when the Eagles played the Colts back in the day and Peyton Manning and Sean McDermott was the defensive coordinator and had devised a plan to have nine different defensive schemes essentially in place, thinking that Peyton Manning would get the ball nine times and that he wouldn't be able to figure them out on the sideline because they would change it up each time. And I don't think that's what they, that's not what they did against the Dolphins, but the point was this guy is going to figure something out. He loves this part of coaching. He loves scheming things up, calling plays. And this was the biggest test he's faced as a defensive play caller. And he knocked it out of the park. I mean, 20 points against that offense is absolutely a great day. They weren't great early, but the offense was good enough to to let the defense settle down. Do you have an idea when the team travels to London for the Sunday game? Feels like the Jags have a significant advantage from a body clock perspective. So my understanding is that the team is going to be practicing in Buffalo on Thursday and then traveling to London. And this is, you know, it's interesting because when teams started going over to London, there was a thought that you wanted to get over there early in the week and get yourself adjusted. I think that has shifted a little bit in recent years because teams are starting to treat it almost like going to the West Coast. It's different, certainly. It's a bit longer, and you're going the opposite way, so you're doing different things with your body clock. But I kind of like that approach, treating it mostly like any other week, not spending too much time over there. And so do the Jags have an advantage from a body clock perspective? Yes. They they were over there last week. They've been over there. I would also consider the fact, though, that the they may not have an advantage in the sense that they have been over there so long. They're human beings. They probably want to get home. <laughs> you know, they, they're probably 
they're taking that bus to the stadium and they're thinking the next time they get on a bus, it's going to be to an airplane that's taking them home. Finally, they've been away from home for a while. So that may not be the biggest advantage because you're not in your normal routine necessarily. The, they're also, I believe the Jaguars are going to be switching hotels because the bills are going into the hotel that they were at and they're going to be practicing out there. So I wouldn't read too much into the idea that the Jaguars have some huge body clock advantage. Now, it's not to say it's not going to be a weird situation for the Bills, unique for a lot of players on the roster. It's actually Sean McDermott's first time going over there, he mentioned. So it's it will be a bit of a an adjustment. And but I, I think they're taking I, I like the approach they're taking, not thinking too much into it and trying to treat it like any other week. And I just don't know that the Jaguars have a massive advantage. I could see it both. I could see arguments both ways where it's, Hey, they've been there, they're adjusted, but also, Hey, they might want to get home, right? Like, I, you know, you spend that much time in a place and you're probably ready to get back to your own bed, get back to, you know, your family, depending on, you know, whether they came over the whole thing. So it's, it's not, I don't think a significant disadvantage for the bills other than maybe the fact that the Jaguars are so used to being over there year after year, but the two weeks in a row thing doesn't, doesn't matter too much to me. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Steven said, Tyreek said the Bills just played cover two, looked like they played more man than I've seen since McDermott arrived. That's the thing about Sean McDermott's defense is that there's going to be disguise and there's going to be some pre-snap things that try to mess with the quarterback's eyes and the quarterback's head. But a lot of times it's not crazy complicated. What Tyreek Hill is saying is not, I don't think, a slight at the Bills defense. It's just the corners had help. And I think when we have this conversation about Tredavious White and how you replace him and how you move on from not having Tredavious White, that's part of the discussion of the sum being greater than the individual parts. They don't rely on one corner to take away half the field most of the time. They have safeties who can help out. They have and they they played this game yesterday without Jordan Poyer, who's been one of the main communicators of the defense. So I think they might have to get a little bit creative, you know, in terms of how they configure the secondary and, you know, how much more they need to disguise things maybe, or how much more they need to play 
that cover two style and have safety help over the top. But there's a lot about this defense that makes everything work. Pass rush in tandem with coverage. And by the way, those linebackers, Terrell Bernard and Matt Milano, who were once again great yesterday. And we have a question here from Sam. What do you think Terrell Bernard's ceiling is? I think his ceiling is is really high because of his athletic profile. He is fast. You know, he is an athletic linebacker. This is not a guy with limited ceiling. He can, and I think you're also seeing shades of his ceiling here because the splash plays are there week after week, fumble recoveries, interceptions. He's been solid in coverage. He's been, you know, one of their better players on defense, and they have a couple of stars on defense. They have a lot of players playing really well, but I wouldn't view him as a limited upside player by any stretch. I think he can be a very, very good player at middle linebacker, and it's looking like one of the the better decisions the Bills have made to let Tremaine Edmonds walk and replace him with Terrell Bernard, regardless of what you thought of Tremaine Edmonds, who was a, a high-end player. But this is an absolute win for the Bills from a you know from a cap perspective and just using resources. It, it was it was pretty smooth. We have a question here from the Dominator thirty nine. Can we appreciate how much Osiris Torrance has become the unsung hero of the of this offense? I do think we need to give some credit to the offensive line again. Week one is now looking like the outlier for that group. And I mentioned after that game and wrote a little bit about how Josh Allen had a hand in a lot of the pressure and the hits that he took and the sacks that he took against the Jets. Also just a a really nasty Jets defensive line. And since then, Josh Allen has been much better at getting the ball out quickly. He's bailing the offensive line out on occasion with his legs, but a huge component to how the Bills look. The, the Dolphins are this revolutionary, is the word that Sean McDermott used. The team speed is something everybody talked about. But the Bills offense is really showing off its balance over the last three games. The way they can mix in timely runs with Latavius Murray and Damian Harris. And of course, James Cook is sort of the bell cow there. But the way they're mixing in the North-South is something that this offense has missed quite a bit in the last few years, I think. You know, they haven't really had that that aspect of their game. You know, Aaron Cromer's done a pretty good job with that offensive line. Two new starters at guard. Spencer Brown has settled in nicely. Deion Dawkins is, is, you know, in form. It's a good group, and and certainly the way Torrance has played, I, I think, again, this was a year that I, an off season that I think a lot of people were starting to poke holes in Brandon Bean's draft record, and uh, you know, in some cases, warranted, but they needed to get some of these hits beyond the first round, right? They needed to get a Terrell Bernard to come in, make an impact. You need a a guard that you pick early, should be able to start right away and handle it. But we know it doesn't always happen. 
So to see it happen, it's had a huge impact on this offensive line. And just the way the offense is all working together right now, yesterday it was flashy, right? Yesterday it was the the 300-yard, four-touchdown, rushing touchdown for Josh Allen, like the five total touchdowns, the 48 points. But at times it hasn't been flashy because they've leaned on the running game a little bit or they've just done what they need to do to win. And now they have different ways to do it. It's a, it's a really interesting offense. And I like seeing how it's coming together and the different things that Ken Dorsey's able to do. I think they, they deserve a lot of credit. So that's a, a tangent on the Osiris Torrance question, but, but Torrance definitely deserves a lot of credit. Eric says, go all in at the deadline, get a cornerback, get pieces that we could use, will use, and need. Forget these picks. I want a Super Bowl. I think that's something they'll keep an eye on for sure. Because if Kyrie Elam is not up to the task and and Tredavious White is potentially out for the year, depth becomes a major concern. And you can find corners on the trade market at a reasonable cost. So that is something that I think they should explore for sure. Because I, you know, Christian Benford, Dane Jackson, not a bad one-two punch at corner. But you're an injury away from counting on a guy that they clearly don't want to count on, right? Like they they haven't wanted to even make Kyrie Elam active to this point. So a lot is on Elam and how he plays, but it's not a bad idea to get some of that depth and you know round things out that way. There's a comment from Peter that he cannot hear me. I hope Peter can now hear me. Uh, And I hope you all can hear me as well. Should the Bills use Kincaid more vertical like the Lions use Laporta? I think we'll see them find different ways to use Kincaid. You know, what's interesting about the vertical passing game is that the Bills didn't have much of one through the first three weeks. It was not a major, you know, factor in what they were doing because teams were starting to take it away. According to next gen stats, Josh Allen coming into the game in the first three weeks of the season was seven for 20 for 127 yards, two touchdowns and three interceptions on vertical routes. In this game, he was six for eight for 153 yards and three touchdowns, zero interceptions. So he had more yards, more touchdowns, and almost as many completions on vertical routes in one game as he did in the previous three games. Teams have been trying to take it away. But another thing that the Bills did in this game, on all three of Stephon Diggs' touchdowns, he was in motion for the snap. So Ken Dorsey is finding ways to get his best players the ball. And that's objective number one as an offensive coordinator. Dalton Kincaid is still figuring things out not yet one of the Bills' best players, but I do think he is still, he and Dawson Knox are serving their purpose. And a lot of that underneath stuff is opening things up for the receivers and and softening things up. So it's all about how it works together. Eventually, this type of stuff that you do, I think sets up for the downfield stuff later in the season. You can build your tendencies one way to open something else up. Also, I would point out too, Stefan Diggs sort of stole a touchdown from Dalton Kincaid in this game and admitted to such after. So I'm not uh, accusing something 
accusing Stefan Diggs of something that he is not readily admitting himself. And if you watch the replay, it was Stefan Diggs is running a bit of a j- drag route. Dalton Kincaid is running a crosser at different levels of the field. And Josh Allen's, you know, buying some time. Diggs breaks off his route, goes a little bit north toward the end zone, and really cuts in front of Kincaid, makes the catch, scores a touchdown. You know, no harm, no foul. But just to point out that Kincaid could have had a touchdown. And then maybe we're thinking about Dalton Kincaid a little bit differently. Every year, the Bills seem to have a midseason slump, Andrew G says. Do you think that will happen this year? It could. It's a long season. There's a lot, you know, that that happens throughout the course of a season, injury-wise, opponent-wise. They have some tough games on their schedule. It doesn't look as tough as it did at the beginning of the year. You know, Jaguars and Giants the next two weeks, those look manageable. Patriots, Buccaneers after that, not too scary. The Bengals don't look as terrifying as they may have at the beginning of the year because of Joe Burrow's injury. Then you have the Broncos, the Jets again, but at home. But then you have the stretch of Eagles, Chiefs, Cowboys, Chargers, at which is sort of toward the end of the year. Maybe there's a slump in there somewhere. But I'm glad you asked this question because I would like to point out a difference that I've noticed in the Bills. And probably it stems from everything they went through last year. And a couple of years ago, two, three years ago, maybe even last year, I don't know, I wasn't around them as much last year. But this could have been a team that would beat a team like the Dolphins and have a lot to say about it, right? Have, especially when the Dolphins were the hype team, people were legitimately, I think, wondering whether the Dolphins were going to take over the AFC East with this game. But the Bills and this is true of each game, have been very matter-of-fact. Even after the loss, I thought they were, you know, Josh Allen took it pretty hard, but the rest of the team was pretty even keel. Sean McDermott was extremely even keel after that Monday night game. He was not overly worked up about what had happened. And, you know, it's something, Mitch Morris is kind of the, the embodiment of this for the Bills, where he's just that calming presence. but. I'm starting to see that maturity from more and more of the players in the locker room that don't get too high, don't get too low. And I think that could help them avoid the same types of slumps that we've seen because this team could really ride the highs the last few years, and there were a lot of them. But then last year, there were some really tough lows that some, you know, that no team has ever had to deal with, like with DeMar Hamlin, but the emotional swings of last season were significant for this team. And I think it it seems to me from being around them that it's something that they have focused on and tried to, to the best of their ability, keep themselves as even keel as they can. So it's a, it's something that we'll we'll have to see. They have a tough schedule, so there's going to be some losses along the way, most likely. But this doesn't strike me as a team that's going to be extremely streaky, it, just because of how their uh, how their you know mindset seems to be coming into coming into the game, coming into each week. 
Will David Edwards be able to overcome his struggles to re-report? That was pretty amusing. Um, I think it spoke to the type of game the Bills were having. They're down in the red zone. Uh, If you missed this while you were watching the game, David Edwards comes in and reports as an eligible receiver. The next play, whether he re-reported or not, the Bills think he did re-report. The refs did not, so they threw the flag and, you know, said, that it was an illegal formation, knocked the Bills back 10 yards. Very next play, Josh Allen throws a touchdown. So it was like no big deal at all. And then later in the the game, Josh Allen, you know, uh, it sounded like one of the players on offense when David Edwards reported the next time, you know, one of the players was like, yeah, he did, you know, screaming about it. So all in good fun, but, you know, you love to have the extra big guys on the field, right? I think that speaks to the type of, type of offense that the bills are trying to run that they are you know playing two sometimes three tight ends sometimes an extra offensive lineman it is uh it's quite a departure from what we've seen i feel like in the past steven says after the jets kansas city game week one is looking like the jets have a very legit defense absolutely i i think seeing patrick mahomes flustered last night and they did come out with the win but seeing Patrick Mahomes flustered last night at times by that Jets defense shows that there was more to that performance than you know you still don't want to see Josh Allen get out of control in an environment like that the way he did on Monday night football but the Jets defense is going to do that to a lot of teams this year they are very very good one of the best in the league and seem to have built their team to defend these great passing offenses. If they had any semblance, uh, Zach Wilson did come alive a little bit last night, but if they had any semblance of an offense, that would be a really dangerous team. But I just don't know if they're going to get enough from Zach Wilson. He had had his moments last night, but uh, wasn't, wasn't great. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jimmy asks, is Grape Davis a legit number two now? A play on, you know, this is how I know I'm getting old, that uh, the Grape Davis thing is over my head, but it's a, a joke that the Bills have been using on social media with Gabe Davis. I don't, I don't know if I'm getting old or if it's just over my head, but it is, uh, it's a silly social media thing. And yes, I think he's a legit number two in a lot of ways. He has the ability, I think, to he's, – he's obviously capable of the big play. And he's a touchdown threat. Josh Allen trusts him down there. He trusts him on, you know, key third downs. And Stephon Diggs is off to a terrific start this season. So that's eating into everybody's numbers in the passing game, I think. but. I'm higher on Gabe Davis than maybe even than I was, you know, this time last year, because I think he's, he's rounding out his game. And Josh Allen mentioned yesterday that they're trying to get him involved in more than just the big play stuff. I just think there's a lot of different players to feed the ball to in this offense between running and passing that he may not put up the biggest numbers, you know, the best numbers of all the number two wide receivers around the league. But he is from a skill set standpoint and from a timely play standpoint, he's that guy. I, I think when they call upon him, he's he's been that guy often enough for me to say that he's a legit number two. Thoughts on how the snaps for Rousseau and Floyd change when Vaughn comes back. That's an interesting question. My thought is that Von Miller will be eased into action because the Bills have the luxury of Greg Rousseau and Leonard Floyd. I think certainly you're going to see fewer snaps for somebody like Shaq Lawson, probably fewer snaps for AJ Epinesa, but they're not going to take Leonard Floyd and Greg Rousseau off the field too, too often. And who knows, maybe there's times that all three of those guys can be on the field. I certainly think that would be a useful package. You could kick Greg Rousseau inside if you needed to. Uh, you could have Von Miller as a stand-up edge rusher. There's a lot of things that they could do to get creative. And they have gotten pretty creative in their pass rush packages. They're not blitzing off. And you, you may have seen the stat heading into the week that they were getting the most pressure in the league, but blitzing the least amount. That's because sometimes different guys are coming. Right, sometimes a uh, linebacker will blitz, and uh, Leonard Floyd may drop out, and they're keeping offensive lines and quarterbacks guessing in that way. So, Von Miller is just another another piece of that puzzle. I'm not; it's just a great problem to have. I'm not concerned about everybody getting enough snaps and this or that. The best thing that they could possibly have is a pass rush this good without Von Miller so that they can ease Von Miller back in and make sure he is fresh and healthy for the playoffs, because that will be a 
complete difference maker. It'll be a game changer. You know, the, the ability for him to close games as a pass rusher could make the difference between a playoff win and a playoff loss. He's that good. And so you don't sign a guy like that to get you 10 sacks in the regular season. You sign him when you're a team like the Bills to get you to the finish line of the season, and that's the Super Bowl. Who did the game matter for more, the Dolphins' offense or the Bills' defense? We have seen both been great versus lesser opponents through the first few weeks. Was it more of a knock on the Finns' offense or a bigger confirmation for the Bills' defense? I think it's a bigger confirmation for the Bills' defense. And I say that because I would I would guess that the Dolphins' offense is going to find a way to bounce back. They are going to... There's not going to be a lot of teams that can match up against the Dolphins and slow them down. But I also... I, I think to an extent it's a reminder that the Dolphins' defense, defense was not or offense was not infallible, right? Like before that 70 point game, the Patriots handled them. Okay. Right. It wasn't a wild offensive game from the Miami dolphins. So, you know, they're not going to be easy to stop, but I think a few defenses have shown that there's legitimate ways to slow them down. I think this is huge confirmation for the Bills' defense, though, because the first three offenses they faced were mediocre to bad. And this one was elite. Some were calling it the, you know, the best in history. And for Sean McDermott, the play caller, to be able to really tie them in knots by, you know, the, from the second quarter on in a lot of ways was a big deal. And I think it just shows how they're going to be able to match up. It shows that even with maybe a team speed advantage on Miami's side, that the scheme and the team defense that the Bills play is tough to handle. And so I think that should give people some confidence about what this defense could look like in other big moments, in other big games. Because subtle as it may be, the switch to from Leslie Frazier to Sean McDermott could matter in big games. He was part of the scheming and part of the game planning and all that in all these games over the years. But having that play sheet in his hand and, and calling the right plays and being a little bit more hands-on during the week, it could make a difference. So I would say the Bills defense in, in that case. We had some questions about Joe. He is coming back soon. He should be back after the London game was, I believe, the initial plan. I don't know which day exactly. Don't quote me on it, but he will be back soon. He All is going well uh, with Joe, and so he will be back breaking down the tape and whatnot. And, but, uh, yeah, Tim will be going to London, and I'll be here on the home front doing some hockey stuff and uh, covering the game from the comfort of home and then Joe will be back and I will still be hanging out here and there. Uh, obviously once hockey gets rolling, it'll be a little bit uh, more sporadic and, and less frequent, but I appreciate everybody jumping into these live chats, reading our stuff, welcoming me back to covering the bills. It's been 
a fun month. And this team looks without all the hype and all the, the flash that they maybe had 12 months ago, looks like it's maybe better built to withstand the marathon of an NFL season. I'm getting the vibe from the fan base that they are also used to this. Like last year, it was hysteria over every every win and every loss, and and it was the emotional marathon of an NFL season was a lot for the team. It was a lot for the fan base. It feels like this is old hat for for the fans. People are used to this team being this good. And this might be a team that's better built. Maybe the uh, end of year rankings won't play out where the offense ranks higher than it did or the defense. I mean, the offense is second in the league right now in, in points per game and yards per game. But I think uh, I think they're built to last. And I'll, I'll finish with Michael's question. The Bills looked great yesterday, but what do you think is missing on this team that could prevent them from sustaining this level of play? And the only real question that I have about them sustaining this level of play is the secondary continuing to hold up through injuries and age and you know different guys coming in. But the, the pass rush is so good, the linebackers are so good, and the scheme right now is so dialed in that I still think it can work as constructed. And the offense looks like it's very much found its groove after that that tough start in week one. So to me, this is a team that is built to sustain this level of play and handle the course of an NFL season. Just because the defense feels like it's much better, the pass rush is as good as it's been under Sean McDermott, and that is a key piece of what they do. So we'll see, you know. There'll be some some tests for Josh Allen and the offense that are maybe, you know, not quite as big as the Jets, but bigger than the ones they've had the last few weeks. But when they're in rhythm like they are, it's tough to knock them out of sync. So this looks like a legit Super Bowl contender to me. Awards before we go. Um the Blaine Gabbert Award for Perseverance. Let's start there. And if we may have mentioned this last week, but what a great story by Dan Pompey in the Athletic on, on Blaine Gabbert and everything we've talked about over the years. The uh, the ability to stick around and the longevity. Somehow he is still in the league. But the Blaine Gabbert Award for Perseverance. Okay, I, we almost have to give it to Demar Hamlin, right? We went this whole time without talking to him, and he gets back on the field for the first time. Didn't play a huge role, but to be active again and to be back on the field and to do it in a way, I know a lot of people have read a lot about DeMar Hamlin and every little thing he does is a big headline, but him as a person, you know, he's, I feel like struck a nice balance between, you know, using his platform for good and also being able to blend into an NFL team. Not an easy line to toe because when the attention's on you, you can be accused of soaking up the attention or whatever else. He's done that to the extent that he can use it for good. And he's also been able to fit into an NFL team. So that was a pretty cool 
uh, pretty cool to see him and the team kind of rally around him. And I'll give a bonus to Latavius Murray, 33 years old, and the guy had more 20-yard gains yesterday than any single member of the Dolphins' offense. He had two 20-yard gains, and no Dolphin had more than one. So a 33-year-old running back is making quite an impact for the Bills in some key moments. Devontae Davis Award for the player who did not show up in the second half. I'm going to go with the Dolphins' offense. Absolutely disappeared. Pulling up the possession chart right now, and they had touchdowns on their first two possessions. They had nine first downs on their first two possessions. They had one touchdown the rest of the way, and they had 10 first downs the rest of the way. So really after that, they disappeared. And that is a huge credit to the defense, but it's also a worthy uh, Vontae Davis award. And the Gotta Watch the Tape award is going to go to, I'm going to give it to the secondary in the sense that I want to see how these replacement defensive backs handled the Dolphins with the benefit of the All-22 when it comes out and see how they might hold up long-term as well because it's not going to be an easy task replacing Tredavious White, and they're probably the key to this defense holding up over the long-term. And for the Matt Barkley Award, the player who came out of nowhere to have a big game, Daquan Jones. For me, I mean, under the radar player leads the team in pressures in this game, gets a sack. He's under the radar enough that it feels a little bit like he came out of nowhere, even though he's been there week after week. Uh, Not quite as Matt Barkley like, but really solid. Uh, And a guy that I think is going to be a big part of what they do this season as they rotate and, and keep all those defensive linemen fresh. So, thank you everybody for tuning in and listening to this live edition of the Buffalo Beat podcast. Soon, Joe Biscaglio will return to this chair as your captain, and I will make as many appearances as the hockey schedule allows, but you're stuck with me for another week. So, I will talk to you all After the Jaguars game on Sunday with such an early kickoff, we should be able to to get this in on Sunday evening, afternoon sometime. If you guys are looking to chat live about the Bills game while the 1 o'clock or 4 o'clock games are on, we can plan on that. I appreciate you all tuning in and asking these questions, and I will talk to you in a few days.